uh, Brene Brown there to lead. I when she talks about the moments and the myths, she, the key theme that runs around is vulnerability and how to rumble with vulnerability when you're dealing with your teams. And they talk about the phys- the physics of vulnerability and basically uh, what is dare daring to lead and. She addresses daring daring as not saying um, that I'm willing to risk failure, but daring is actually saying I know I will eventually fail and I'm still all in, yeah, regardless. We see that there's no brave person who hasn't known disappointment, failure, and even heartbreaks sometimes, yeah? And we see vulnerability as the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty, um, risk, and also emotional exposure. And we see that vulnerability is not about winning yeah, or losing. It's more than that. Basically, vulnerability is the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome, which mostly scares the hell out of people. Vulnerability is looked at as, looked, is looked at as a strength and not a weakness because a vulnerable experience is easy. No. Um, can they make us feel anxious and uncertain? Yes, very much. Um, do they make us want to self-protect and armor up every time we're in conversations? Absolutely correct. And does showing up for the ex- for these experiences with a whole heart and no armor require courage? Absolutely. We require a lot of courage for us to have these conversations. And also one key thing that she talks in this in this in this picture or in this book is um, as you receive feedback and in having these vulnerable conversations, we also need to be able to pick out which feedback we receive, yeah, and from who. So we use the uh, square squad, where you are able to pick at least four people or three people, depending on the people you are close with. People who love you enough and care about you enough to actually give you honest feedback and conversations with love and also guide you when you're going on the wrong side and tell you actually bluntly that this is wrong and this is the right way to go about it. When you talk about the myths that surround vulnerability, people say vulnerability is weakness. But we see that is not true because the fact that there's no single act of courage that doesn't require managing massive vulnerability. We have to be open for us to handle these issues because otherwise we'll be handling the, the characteristics of the problem instead of handling the real issues that we face. And opening up to this being vulnerable in these conversations means that we approach these conversations with utmost honesty. We also cannot do without vulnerability. Yeah. We cannot go at it alone. Also, we need people and we need the teams to be with us as we go through rambling with vulnerability through the support so that we can be able to build connective and cohesive teams. And most importantly, teams that trust each other, teams that root for each other and teams that extend grace to each other and understanding all the time. And there's nothing like trust comes before vulnerability. We have to be vulnerable enough for us to actually untrust and for us to actually extend trust to other people. And as we look at the call to courage, it's not easy to be courageous. It's not easy, you cannot even start understanding it, but we have to be open enough for us to pick courage over fear, pick courage all the time over us assuming and running away from our problems. I loved the fact that Brianna, uh, Brina, Brina Brown talks about or brings aspects of uh, personalization and people skills that we miss out most of the time. We tend to be so armored up in our own conversations in our head and how we react to conversations and how we react to how we handle people. 
but in real sense she brings out another perspective of not just you being a leader who uh, facilitates goals and all that but goes beyond you as a leader connecting with the people you lead being vulnerable enough to know that you're human and you're not perfect and you accepting this fact ensures that you're able to lead wholly because if you love yourself if you understand yourself then you portray all this back to your teammates and this makes the whole um idea of leadership even better i think that's pretty much thank you Brené Brown has also extensively talked about shame and empathy and how these affect the leadership context in organization. She has referred shame as a master emotion. Emotion it is universal and by definition it is a powerful emotion that makes us not worthy of connection. It is a painful blow to our sense of self-worth. All or maybe some of us have encountered uh, encountered shame in our workplaces. Examples of shame in workplaces is when you cover up a mistake at work and get caught. It is getting a promotion and demotion 6 months later because you are not succeeding. Shame is also being proud of a completed project and being told it wasn't what the boss wanted. I believe you have all some more examples of shame encountered at work and you know how this can actually affect productivity and welfare. Brenner therefore notes that shame is hidden in the walls of organization and it destroys innovation, trust, connection and culture. This can be identified by the perfectionism, gossiping, comparison, discrimination, bullying and harassment at workplaces or even setting up reward systems that intentionally to embarrass and humiliate people. Brenner identifies one application of not putting people through this. Although good leaders should of course in process lay off employees and resign roles people should be given a way out with dignity always remember the human and pay attention to the feelings brene brown notes that great leaders make tough people decisions and are tender in implementing them brene brown goes further and explains empathy in leadership context she notes that it is an essential ingredient for teams that takes risks empathy is connecting to the emotions that underpin an experience uh, normally people will confuse empathy and sympathy and in a nutshell empathy is feeling with while sympathy is feeling for brain explains skills that gives empathy first see the world as others see it this is allowing another perspective and it involves becoming a learner rather than a knower secondly we should be non-judgmental we normally judge in areas where we are more susceptible to shame thirdly we should also understand another person's feeling and communicate the understanding of that person's feeling for instance as a manager or a leader calling your frustrated junior about a, a project which he or she finds difficult and reassuring them that you are all part of the of it is empathy also mindfulness is another important skill in empathy that is trying to generally connect and paying attention Personally, I found Brenner's work interesting, but he assumes that empathy is full, is fully a skill and needs to be learned. I would also believe that empathy is inborn and some people are naturally born with it. Thank you. Bringing the whole discussion of the to lead into conclusion, we look at two parts. Number one, call the armory. According to Brené Brown, she says the job of yesterday required muscle. The job of today requires brains and the job of tomorrow will require the heart. 
when we critically analyze these three pointers, we consider aspects like the 19th century. All we needed was manual labor, the muscle. Today's jobs have been automated to require the brain. Analysis of it, if you look at it, we look at automation of jobs, artificial intelligence, for example, whereby artificial intelligence is automating what would have been done by the muscle into the brain, which means that those who rely on the muscle are quickly becoming redundant. However, we are yet to touch on the heart, which is for tomorrow. When you look at the armory, there is the unarmored heart. The unarmored heart is one that is imperfect and vulnerable. Yet, this heart is considered to be weak. But in truth, it is brave and courageous and wholehearted. How do we consider this to be wholehearted? In a company aspect, you realize a lot of companies tend to focus on severing the heart, imprisoning the heart, and by doing these two aspects, they get productivity. And out of it, they ensure that capitalism runs high. However, this comes at the expense of the employee. In fact, this way of working is wrong. If you consider a manifesto written in the 1940s for the military, it was considered, simply put, it is the man versus, it is machine versus the human being. Whereby, it was said that for a good military individual, he had to have no ego, no heart, and no emotional intelligence. We've seen this today in the movies. Anybody who's in the military could probably speak from the experience. However, the book contradicts it, stating that for one to be a true military leader, they have they have to ensure that they have heart. They have to ensure they have emotional intelligence and they have to have the right mindset to lead. In concluding this, this brings into a daring leader. Now looking critically into the daring leader, we have several points that Brene Brown brings out. We will try to summarize this into three of them. Number one is the fear of failure. You realize that failure is the biggest, rather it's the biggest perspective that blocks us from reaching our success story. This fear of failure brings about the perspective of perfectionism, which can never be achieved. We barely realize that in any aspect in life, it's all about growth. Taking those small steps celebrating those small victories until you reach a goal. In doing so, you ensure that there is gratitude and there is joy. And in doing so, you ensure that the heart is involved, the heart of tomorrow. In the final chapter, we look at curiosity and confidence and grounded confidence. Here, you consider that to be curious means you want to know more. And in order to know more, you have to go out and seek for more. But again, in doing so, you bring in an area of fear, an area of armored leadership that is considered vulnerability. The moment you're vulnerable, we tend to trigger back to our past behaviors. 
These are things that we've been programmed into from childhood and we cannot explain. However, if we need to grow, if we need to be curious, we have to step into that vulnerability. For example, for a football player, the basic, the basic elements is always handling the ball with the foot. So essentially, they have to be trained day in and day out on the basic skill. By doing so, you're reinforcing the muscle memory until it becomes common ground. Now, for the greatest players, they have made sure they have perfected this skill. And by perfecting it, they have gone over and above and beyond. However, if this player was not curious enough to step out of their comfort zone, if they are not curious enough to master the basic skill, the fundamental skill, they never would have had the grounded confidence to lead a team. I believe this aspect brings in in every form of leadership. You need to be curious and you need to be grounded. Thank you. What I found most fascinating for me in the book Audacity of Hope were the similarities between the challenges in the United States and my home country, Kenya. So issues such as the increasing gap between the wealthy and the poor, lack of employment, insufficient access to relevant education, a lack of an acceptance to play a part in climate change solutions, and um, unwilling or corrupt systems of governance, as well as uh, lack of access to healthcare. I honestly believe that some of these issues are purely African problems. Well, it would be naive to think that the West is a sort of utopia, but I think it's so much more to do probably with my own lack of exposure and perhaps the media representation of the United States and the Western world. Naturally for me, the chapter that's covered energy efficiency issues was my favorite, seeing as I am a sustainability professional. I could relate to it directly and it's covered in chapter five, which is titled Opportunity. Here, Barack Obama shows the various opportunities uh, that the USA can adopt, jump on, or consider specifically in science, education, and technology to keep in tandem with the changing times. The issue on energy I found very interesting as he pointed out a very basic solution that's already in use in Brazil, which is the use of E85 as a fuel, which consists of 53 to 85% ethanol. The benefits include um, higher cleaner, uh, cleaner energy and higher performing energy, uh, production of up to 50% less emissions, and the other pros include combating climate change, stimulating further research into this, providing new jobs, and decreasing the United States' dependence on oil producing countries such as the Middle East. With this, I am sure we can already start to see more possibilities in terms of benefits of just this one solution. Um, I also saw a very direct connection between the IMT training we had on individualism and socialist system, as America is a very individualistic um, country and this structure of awarding individual efforts has enabled some individuals to rise in wealth, opportunities, and great success. Uh, such as Warren Buffett, but neglected those minorities who lack access to such opportunities uh, due to their present circumstances or color of their skin. So Obama realized that there needs to be a balance that although individual efforts are rewarded, the government needs to put in place structures to level the playing field 
such as using policy and necessary infrastructure to allow entrepreneurs to rise. So um, he says, and I quote, what is preventing us from shaping the future we want is not an absence of good ideas, is the absence of a national commitment to take tough steps necessary to make America more competitive and the absence of a new consensus around the appropriate role of governments in the marketplace. Thank you. Yeah, so I enjoyed the book, The Audacity of Hope, very much so, as you all know, it's from Barack Obama. And for me, the most interesting thing was the fact that he he discusses things that we see in news, we see in movies, we see in series, but we really don't know like the root causes. And he discusses all the root causes of all the problems that he sees are significant problems in the USA, which we can also pick from for our own individual countries. And for instance, he mentions um, the divide that they have between Republicans and Democrats, which again is something that we are all familiar with. We see the division and he describes how the division is more um, political now than it was any time before the World War II and where you can see clear differences like they are now in a position where you either with them or against them that if you're a republican then you are with the republicans fully fully no matter what they are um, advocating for no matter what they are not advocating for and if you are a democrat then you are fully into whatever they are advocating for and he says that this is a difficult thing to deal with because at the end of the day Human issues are to be dealt with as human issues, not as laws and right or like fully on this side or on this side. And as it is right now in their political landscape, compromise is looked at like weakness that should be punished or should be purged and really not something that you can reach a compromise and say, okay, in this one thing, we can look at it this way. At the end of the day, however, everyone else, every citizen of the country who is dependent on the policies that are made by the politicians is waiting for a politics with the maturity to balance idealism and realism which is not yet there like that's not where they are that's not where we are as a people that we are able to actually look at this is the ideal that we want but this is a realistic situation that we are in where is the in between then we can make a change that can happen he also discusses deeply um, issues of values, which is something I am very passionate about as well, that the higher you go, it's very easy. We look at our own politicians and they go, and we vote for people and we are so sure they will make it to the top and they will really bring change. And they get there and do not bring any change and become like everyone else. And we always wonder what is so attractive up there that changes them. And he says that the political system makes it so hard for politicians to remain true to their values you are supposed to follow specific rules you're supposed to follow specific things and you have um, people who endorsed you and who have their policies the things they have said when we endorse you we want you to do xyz and when you don't do this xyz then you are going against them but at the end of the day barack still goes back and says we need to reach um, a place as a political people where we are looking at ideas, values, and action, and those should matter more than am I going to 
look at something else that is against what I believe in. That it's very easy to lose your own value because you are supposed to do what your political party has sent you to do. Um, at the end of the day, we should look at compromise and collaboration as the basis of all politics. If we look at compromise and collaboration, then we are looking at the people, we are looking at the ideas, we are looking at everything that will change the situation for the good of the country. Because at the end of the day, everyone is looking towards improving the state, not just small, small things. You really want to improve the state. And the only way you can do that is when you reach a po point of compromise. Um, and the biggest learning that I had in this entire book was on his discussion on politics where he says that um, political candidates should not vow their loyalty to any special interest group. They have made a pledge, yes, while they are vying and asking for endorsements. But if it is going to go against their individual moral values and if it's going to go against the um, core values that they have as individuals or as a party, then they should look at cases case by case and individual cases to really ascertain what is going to be done in a specific situation and to change the dynamics and consider the dynamics of the situation before making choices. Thank you.